Welcome to the podcast of Bethel Mennonite Church in Gladys, Virginia. Today's message was originally preached October the 16th, 2011 by Gabriel Yoder and is entitled, Seek the Face of God. Greetings in Christ's name. It's good to be here with you. I love that last phrase of that song, Oh, oh make me love you more and more. I appreciate you choosing that song, Brother Joe. Um, that does fit with the message that um, I have chosen to share with you this morning about seeking God's face and um, loving Him more and more. Um, I just want to express my appreciation to this church. Um, you all have had long arms that have reached to Belize, and when we come here, we feel your love and appreciation for us. Um, though we are very undeserving. And sometimes in my heart, pride is an enemy. Obviously, pride is an enemy of us all. But pride wants to do things in me that absolutely stinks. And I want to just, you know what? Sometimes people look at missionaries as a little bit of cut above. When they come home, they get honor. But you know, I tell people this. The mission field is God's special ed. For slow learning, slow learning Christians, that's what I tell people. So, if God's got you here, press on. And if you're, you know, slow learner, maybe you'll end up in Africa somewhere. But, um, you know, God's done a lot of things in my life. Um, when I first went down to Belize, um, I thought I was at least a good average church member. And when I got to Belize, I thought, you know, I have two or three credentials. And guess what? They didn't look at credentials, your two or three credentials. You go from being a church member to leadership, and all of a sudden your credentials are worthless. The only thing that everybody sees is your failures. And that was a big adjustment for me. And that knocked a lot of pride out of my life. And there's still a lot to go yet. Um, so I, I, I feel this way, that when I went down, I was more like the publican standing in the marketplace or wherever, in the temple, saying, I mean, not the publican, but the Pharisees saying, God, thank you that I'm not like this person over here. You know, I didn't realize I was this way, and that's one of the deceptions of pride, I guess. But after a lot of um, hard situations and a lot of heat and a lot of condemnation, I guess, I come back, and two years later, God be merciful to me, a sinner, just like the publican. Um, and I think it's a great work of God. It's His mercy to show us where we're at and then also do a change in our lives to bring us out to um, to a more sanctified place, a place where He can use us. Um, so I'm very thankful for that. Um, I don't like the heat. Nobody likes the heat. But God puts us through the heat sometimes to make us into new creatures for Him. Um Gerald asked me to preach the other day, and um, it was a good thing because furloughs are like water on 
spiritual fires sometimes. And um, because you come back and you eat all this good food and you sleep in some mornings and and your schedule gets all messed up. And, and, and that was happening to me. And when he called me to preach, I knew I needed to do it. Maybe not for your good as much as my own good, that I could um, dig into the Word and really pray and get in the groove here again. And I appreciate the opportunity. Um, this morning, I've chose to preach a message. I've preached this in Belize. So whether you believe it's secondhand or if it's the sanctified version of this message, it's up to you. But um, I want to talk about seeking the face of God, seeking his face. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. But he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I would like to take a moment and bow our heads for a prayer this time. Let's pray. Father, I ask for your Holy Spirit upon us this morning, upon myself, that these clay lips could speak truth from your word, that understanding would come to the hearts of the people here, God, in spite of the speaker. God, that you could use me in a a way this morning to bring glory to your name. Um, Help me to wake up and help each one of us to wake up this morning, Lord. We need to wake up, God. And I pray that you would use me and use your truth in doing that this morning. And I don't want to get any glory for anything. It's all glory goes to you, God. And I praise Christ in this, in the work that he's doing in our hearts from day to day. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Hebrews 11, verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please God. Now we understand that without faith it is impossible to please God. Now, the second part of this verse, he gives an example of what faith looks like in action. Because negativity sometimes is stronger than positive. Negative is sometimes a lot stronger than positive. When it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You could turn it around and add a double negative and say, but without faith, it is impossible to not please him. Or with faith, it is impossible to not please him. With faith, it would be impossible to not please God. And he gives an example in the second part of this verse, and I had to read it a dozen times before I could start to understand the depth of this verse. For he that cometh to God must, number one, believe that he is, and number two, believe that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He says, without faith you cannot please God, but this is what it looks like when somebody is pleasing to God through faith. He comes to God and diligently seeks him, believing in the promises that God makes that he will reward them. I really was excited with this verse. Um, 
There's so much packed into this verse. Um, God is a perfect father. He is a perfect father. If we want to be pleasing to him, we must seek him and he will reward us. Can you picture a, a good father who, when his child comes to him, and wants to show him a picture that he or she drew? That father's heart just goes out to that child because that child is seeking the father, seeking to be pleasing to his father. And a good father will get down on his knee and just praise that child up for that ugly picture he colored or she colored. You know, that's the heart of our God when we would seek him and come to him. Psalm 34, verses 9 and 10. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Wow, not want any good thing. Those that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. I know a lot of Christians that have a lot of want, and I'm, I've, I'm there. I think there is um, a translation of this that would mean that as a Christian, though you may not have a lot of the good things that life would offer, if you are seeking God, you will be satisfied in spite of those things. I was speaking to a young man the other day, um, getting older, not married, solid Christian. And I was just encouraging him that, you know what? The Christian life, Christ, is enough to absolutely overwhelm him and his needs with joy and love and satisfaction in right where God has him. And so, in a sense, when it says, they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. If a young person is finding himself single and is seeking the Lord, that longing and that desire is, is still there, but there's a so much greater overwhelming satisfaction and such a greater um, fulfillment in something else that marriage can't even satisfy and my mother is a testimony of that she she blesses me she um she says god is my husband and it sounds almost to the wrong person it sounds almost trivial like okay yeah fine but it's really true for her and she is very satisfied with her relationship with god in fact she's i didn't ask her permission but she said that um she has said that the thought of marriage, again, repulses her to because she's afraid that if she would marry again, it would take away some of that precious relationship that God is filling in her life already. So that is how we as Christians... Now, you can take anything. You will not like any good thing. Um, if you seek God, He will satisfy... Um, our every need. Deuteronomy 4 verses 29 through 31. I'd like to read those. Um, God is talking to the children of Israel and warning them what will happen if they turn away. And then he tells them what to do after everything goes wrong and they're in bondage to their sins. Um, Deuteronomy 4 29 through 31. And if from thence 
Thou shalt seek the Lord thy God. Thou shalt find him. And if thou seek with all thine heart and with thy if thou seek with all thine heart and all thy soul. That is a promise that if you seek him with all your heart and all your soul, you shall find him. When thou art in tribulation and all these things are come upon thee, even in the latter days, if thou turn to the Lord thy God and shalt be obedient unto his voice. For the Lord thy God is a merciful God, and he will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers, which he sware unto them. Seek him with all your heart and all your soul. And I wonder, do I know what it is like to seek him with all my heart? Does anybody here know what it's like to seek him with all of your heart? Um, But the promise is so true that we will find him. But it's not just seek him and you will find him. It's seek him with all your heart. And you'll find him. There are so many promises in scripture. About seeking God. And being rewarded by it. That's why the Bible weighs about. Two and a half pounds. It's promises. In there that makes it heavy. Um, This is a question. That I throw out to you. I've asked myself. Do you ever feel. Discontented with your Christian life. Like you just know there's something more. You see the promises in scripture. You know these promises are for you. They're, they're for me. And I read of places where there's overwhelming joy and overwhelming satisfaction. and Everything beautiful and wonderful in this Christian life. And too often we say, well, it's, you know, life happens. And, and we sort of dull down the promises a little bit. But deep down, I think in many of our hearts, if not all of our hearts, there is a longing for something greater than we are experiencing in our Christian life. And that comes from God. That doesn't come from the enemy to make you discontented. It comes from God. There is a thing of holy discontentedness. And I think that holy discontentedness needs to be woken up in each one of our hearts. But there's many promises concerning God and seeking God and finding him. Um... Luke 11, I'd like to read a few verses, very familiar verses. Luke 11, um, verses 9 through 13. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. If a son shall ask, bread of any of you that is a father will he give him a stone or if he ask a fish will he for a fish give him a serpent or if he shall ask an egg will he offer him a scorpion if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children how much more shall your heavenly father give the holy spirit to them that ask him himself how much more will your heavenly father give himself to you if you ask him. Um, once again referring to God as a father. And that one gets me more than it used to. And, and those of you that are young and don't have children. I just to bear with us fathers. But if my little girl comes to me and asks for food. And she's hungry. 
My heart goes out to her, and I will not for a long time deny her. You know, if it's just before supper, I will deny her. But not for hours and days. And God's heart is the same way towards us as, as His children. He will not deny us. Now, too often, we look at these precious promises as only suggestions that we can do if we're in a time of need. Oh, if you're in a time of need, well then ask, you know. Or if you're in a time of need, knock and seek, you'll find. Um, it's not just saying if you ask, you will receive. It is saying that. It is saying that if you ask, you will receive. Verse um, 10, it says... Um, Everyone that asketh receiveth. But it's more than that. It's a command. I never saw it like this before. Verse 9 it says, I say unto you, ask. Seek. Knock. And what are we waiting for? If it's commanded, I in my own life always wait for something to come up. Something to go wrong in my life. Then I start to respond and I need, God, I need you. Come through. Your promise is here. But why don't we seek him now before the hard times come and find him? We will find him. How would a father feel if his little son um, was too afraid to um, ask his daddy for something to eat? How would, how would a father feel? The son's too afraid to ask for food. And that would just hurt. What if, what if there's a teenage son that won't go to his dad for help with something? Um, maybe he's even asking the neighbor to help. But he won't ask his dad. That would really hurt. And yet we do the same things. We have needs in our lives. Many times... The needs in our lives are there. Like this morning, there's probably needs in my life that I'm asleep to. Spiritual needs that once I get close to God, I start to see my need for him. And so many of us have problems and needs and we turn to everything else. And God is saying, seek me. It's a command. It's like the father said, son, if you ever need help, you come to me and I will help you. Um, and God is the same way his heart longs for his children to come to him. He has everything that we need. By the way, what is the reward for seeking God? It's not a trick question. What is the reward for seeking God? God himself is the reward for seeking God. Why would it be anything else? There's this teaching these days of the health and wealth doctrine where if you are a good Christian, God's going to bless you and you're going to have a nice fellowship, a nice family, a nice car possibly, or even, you know... Those trains of thought are so prevalent in our culture today. But when we seek God, we are 
He says, I will, I will bless you and, and, and He will give us what we seek and it's Himself. There is nothing more precious than receiving God in a deeper way in, our, in a Christian's life. There is nothing that comes close. You say, what's so... What is the big deal about seeking God? There is nothing that is more precious than coming to a closer relationship with God. Recently, I've gone through some time, season of God's working in me and doing some things. And I look back on my entire life, which is getting long, getting kind of longer. I've done electrical work. I've served at the home church in Floyd. I've gotten married. I've gone to Belize. And the greatest thing that I have ever done in my entire life happened in the last couple of months. I, I think maybe set apart from my actual salvation experience in the last several months when I have spent more time seeking God than I ever have before. And the result is I find Him. And when I find Him, I just long for more of Him. And when I find Him, it changes me. It changes who I am. It puts fire in my heart. And I want to find Him to a greater degree. There is nothing like finding Him. If you don't feel like seeking Him, it's possibly because you've never done it with all your heart before. Because if you have done it with all your heart, you have found Him. And He has done a work in you. And if He's done that, then there's a longing and a deep longing in your heart to do it some more this week and today to seek Him more. In fact, that's what eternity is all about. Some people have a vision of heaven being a place where they can float around with harps and sing songs and everything's beautiful and they want to go. Heaven is all of that. But heaven is all about seeking Jesus' heart and getting to know Him better for eternity and the joy that comes out of that. That is what heaven is. And by the way, we can start having heaven on earth. We, the day we become a Christian and begin to seek His face, we can begin to experience the joys of heaven. And if you get tired of seeking Him, you, get, you don't have the... You're not receiving the joys of heaven like you could. Um, and this morning I'm preaching to myself because I, I fail in this so often. And, I, and I'm so green and I'm so pathetic. I need this message for myself. You might say heaven sounds kind of boring if all we're going to do is seek Jesus. You know... Don't worry if heaven sounds boring because we're just going to seek Jesus there. You might not be going. Because the only people that are going are those that love the Lord with all their heart. And they want to spend an eternity seeking Him and finding Him. Heaven is for those that love Him and seek Him now. You know, one day it says every knee is going to bow. But only those that bow now and seek Him now are going to have the privilege of seeking Him for eternity. If someone wants to go to heaven for any other reason, 
Many people turn to Christianity out of a fear to hell, and that's fine. Praise God. But it can't stop there. If people want to go to heaven because it's an alternative to hell only, if they don't grow past that, or because there's going to be nice rivers and nice fruit and nice food, you can eat on heaven's tables all day long. That one song says you can feast at Jesus' table. You know, if that's the re- any other reason besides Jesus Christ, I'm not going to say you're not going, but your heart's not right. You might ask, how can we seek Jesus for all of eternity? The answer is to find out the richness and the fullness of Christ and the depth of his love. To even scratch the surface is going to take more than eternity to do that. Because he is so great. His depths are unsearchable. His life, his love is unsearchable. True, genuine Christianity calls us to obedience to Christ. Um, In the Old Testament, God gave the law for the people to obey. Um, But now we live in the age of grace, and we're really glad to live in the age of grace because everything's easier, isn't it? Now we don't have to follow this law thing. We've got grace now. Not necessarily. It's not necessarily easier. In fact, it's not easier. You know, the misconception of grace in these days is, well, there's a modern meaning, and it's, and it's in the um, dictionary. You get a book from the library, and it's overdue, and you go back and... They said, well, we had gave you a few days of grace and we didn't charge you the fine. That's the modern term of grace. And it might be applied in Scripture somewhere, some places, I'm not sure. But generally, grace in the New Testament refers to power. The power of Jesus Christ. Grace is power. So when we live in the age of grace... It's not that we're not that God's overlooking sin anymore. In fact, I think he holds it to a greater degree. Because not only is the law still present, and we'll talk about that a little bit more, but he also is offering us the power. So not only will we spurn the law, but we'll also reject the power. So living in the day of grace has a high standard. Now, here's an example how the, um, the New Testament age of grace has a higher standard than the Old Testament law. Um, in the Old Testament law, you had to tithe, give 10%. Well, guess what? In the age of grace, everything belongs to Christ. Everything belongs to Him. Old Testament, keep the Sabbath holy. That was yesterday, and we did a lot of work on yesterday. You know what? Then the day of grace. Every day is supposed to be kept holy in your heart before the Lord. Being cleansed by Jesus Christ. Every day is supposed to be kept holy. It's not just a day you set aside for God. No, your whole life is now to be set apart for God. The only way possible to live in the age of grace 
is by grace through Jesus Christ. By his power. Where do we get this grace and this power? Through our relationship with him. Through our relationship with Christ is where we receive the power. Do you know the difference between... Okay, what motivates me to follow Jesus? What motivates you to do it? Is it a fear? Is it love? Why do you follow God? It's just the right thing to do. Um, do we ever lose heart about having victory over that certain sin in our lives? Do we get discouraged in loving our enemies? Hope there's not much enemies in the church, but there's other enemies and different issues of relationships, things I've had to deal with. Do we ever lose heart on these things? Is submitting to God and submitting to the church, the authority that God has set up, is that just pretty hard to do? Sometimes feel like giving up, throwing in the towel, and quitting, but you don't because you don't want to go to hell. What motivates us to continue? Do you know what the difference between slavery and Christianity is? Slavery is this. You people need to stop sinning and start doing what's right. You need to don't do this anymore. And you need to start doing this. And if you don't, you're going to go to hell. So get it right. That's slavery. And brethren, I have been guilty of erring on this side of preaching. From time to time. And God's giving me. Understanding. of This is real Christianity. Brethren. If you. If we. Could get one glimpse. Through the face and the beauty of Jesus Christ. And actually change everything else. We would have no problem surrendering to him. We would have no problem seeking his face of living. Christian life. And that's real Christianity. That is real Christianity. When I was single, I didn't get up Sunday morning and complain to my brother Michael that huh, I gotta drive two hours to Gladys and pick up my girlfriend and go to church. Oh, it's just give me some coffee. <laughs> I got up and I got out of there and drove as quickly as I could without getting caught. Um, with a lot of joy in my heart. Why? Because I had gotten a glimpse of something beautiful, an essence of beauty, something got my heart, and it changed everything for me. Um, before we were married, um, my wife, she didn't like doing dishes very good. Um, but one day, I came into her life and I got in the dishpan and started cleaning. I didn't get in, but I started washing dishes. And um, guess where she was? She was right beside me. And there wasn't any place in the house or in the world that she would have rather been except washing dishes. What happened? A change of motivation. It went from slavery, she did her part, to love. She wanted to do it. Husbands, you weren't crazy about your wife before you met her. If you were, you probably ought to go in and have some counseling somewhere. Um, 
that you'd never met her. You didn't see her. It just wasn't existent there. One day you were going through life and you've got things figured out in your mind. What's important? Maybe you're in Walmart getting fishing. Laura, you and your buddies are going fishing. All of a sudden you see her and bam! Whoa! And it's over. And your friends have to drag you out the door. You know, we're going fishing. Come on, let's go. And, um, but everything changed for you in a moment. In one glimpse. That was one glimpse. Everything changed for you. Those things that you thought were important weren't important anymore. Just weren't important. Who cared? Y'all go ahead. You know, and things that he didn't know existed, he was certain existed. One glimpse. Hopefully that relationship grew and strengthened in love with more than just infatuations and comes to marriage in a solid Christian marriage. Um, imagine this. I'm walking through life and I've got things figured out for the most part. There's still some questions, but I've got my priorities and the thing that I feel is important in life. And all of a sudden, God reaches down and takes the blinders off of my spiritual eyes that are very blind. And I just go, wow, what is this? And, you, and I see Jesus Christ like I've never saw him before. And it hits me like a ton of bricks. And I am changed. And things I didn't know existed, I know existed. The things I cared about in life, I don't care about anymore. That's what Christianity is. And every glimpse of Jesus Christ as Christ is today, every glimpse of Him that we receive after that experience brings us to closer to holiness, Closer in love with our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Christianity is all about. Matthew chapter 13 verse 44-46. I'd like to read a few verses. Words of Jesus here. About the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 13, 44-46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. And that's what the Christian life is supposed to be like. Sometimes I think we... Find that pearl and go in shares. We don't sell out. We go in shares. If everybody comes together, we could all kind of own one pearl. It doesn't work like that. Either you have Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. He's not just your Savior. He has to be Lord. That means He tells you what to do. Either He's your Savior and Lord or He's not. And either you have that pearl or He's not. And sometimes I think we have Him... And we get confused and we get turned away and we don't see the value of Him anymore and we start to collect all these other things and get distracted with everything else in this life and start to get our priorities totally mixed up again. And we need revival. We need to wake up.
The Christian life is lived out by the motivations of the heart. Do you obey God because you have to? That's called slavery, and we've talked about that. Or do you obey God because you love Him and you want to? That's real Christianity. This struck me so much when I understood this in a new light recently. Pick the strongest stronghold of the enemy in your life. Wouldn't you love to have rid of that? And the victory comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, it's just like the young man who would love to be married, but God hasn't brought that to him yet. Instead of being consumed with that thing, he's consumed with Christ. And yes, that thing is still there, but there's something so much bigger at work in his life. I have to think of Charles Finney, the, the evangelist. He got married and was with his wife for two days and he got a call to go somewhere else on a preaching thing. And he was gone for several months without seeing his wife, his new wife. Now, we might would classify that as wrong, but God, God was at work in that situation too. And in his heart, he had a great longing to be with his wife. You can only imagine. And it's strong. Yet, there was something so much stronger at work in his life. And that's what we're talking about this morning. The strength that that stronghold is in your life. Whether it's sin or some a good thing that you want really bad that God hasn't given you. The answer is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. I need to hurry on. Um, Christ gives himself to us. He gives himself in the way of many facts. We know that Christ died for us. He raised, was raised again the third day. He is the penalty for our sins. And when we believe in him, we can be saved. And that's the facts of Jesus Christ. And by understanding and believing the facts, we can be saved. Um, husbands, once again, before you were married, I could have brought your wife's skeleton to you and you wouldn't have been very attracted to it. Nothing much there attractive about a skeleton. You might kind of go the other way. Um, the facts about Jesus Christ, they're not repulsive. But the facts about Jesus Christ is enough to save us. And I think there's many churches that dwell on the facts and only the facts and they stay there. But there is beauty to Jesus Christ. And in this culture, in this age of church, we have lost sight of the beauty of Jesus Christ. The beauty of Jesus Christ is the rest. The facts is the skeleton that the beauty is built upon. Ephesians 3 verses 14 through 19. And this cause, for this cause, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to his riches and glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with the whole church, with all the saints, that you may be able to comprehend what is the breadth, the length, and the depth, and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. 
to be filled with the fullness of God. That is our future as Christians. If we press on to be filled with that fullness of God. That's what I want. That's what I want for each one of us Christians. It's so much better than just stopping with the facts. I'm going to skip over some things. It's I could take a vote, but I'll just pass over some things. Um, there's two mountains. There's the mountain of the world. And there's the mountain of God. And I like to compare it between the Rustburg Mountain and Mount Everest. And that's not a very good example either. Because the mountain of God is for eternity. When we moved to Floyd, we used to call um, Rustburg Mountain Rustburg Hill. Because it, it seemed kind of small. Right? When we get to the Blue Ridge Mountains. But Blue Ridge is small compared to Mount Everest. So on this hand, we have the mountain of the world. And over here, we right at the foot of the mountain of the world is the mountain of God. And right here in this valley is the cross of Jesus Christ. And the mountain of the world, the kingdom of this world, is all about me and me getting to the top of the mountain. And sometimes to get there, you've got to push other people down. And usually you hate the people above you. And you try to go through every method that you can to get to the top. That's the world's kingdom. And it's operated on lies and selfishness and pleasure, short-lived pleasures. That is the mountain of the world. And every one of us have lived on the mountain of the world and maybe are still living on this mountain of the world. And one day we came down to the cross of Jesus Christ and were saved at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. And the sin, all the sins that we committed are forgiven. And over here is the mountain of God. And so let's say this is the cross and over here is the world. I come to the cross and there's a line right here and I've crossed over and now I'm saved. And now that I'm saved, there's this little valley that gets steep over there. There's a lot of Christians standing on this side of the line in the valley longing for those things that they used to have and wishing they could you know, enjoy those things that and they sometimes get over here and like, whoa, almost went across the line again. What a pathetic place to live as a Christian. You know, here's the mountain of God. And I like to equate altitude as fulfillment and pleasure. And sometimes we don't use that term in Christianity. But when we got to the top of the kingdom of the world, if you got there, you realize that it was all a lie and it wasn't very satisfying. That's where many people kill themselves on the top because they realize there's no higher to go. And those that live, live to get there. And many Christians are at the foot of the cross wishing and pining for the things of the world and yet they don't want to go back because they, they want to stay saved. And if, if we would start climbing this mountain of God, we would find joy, love, Peace, happiness. I mean, we would have fun. I'm serious. There is great fun in being a, walking with God on the mountain of God and growing altitudes with Him. You know what? You see people that fast for a long period of time, not, not like the Pharisees, or, or they go and do hard, they go through hard times 
And they just blow through it. Why? Because something is going on in their life. Something's happening with their relationship with God. And you can't just look at that person and say, oh, poor person. I, I, you know, I, I really feel sorry for you. I, I wish that... You see they've got joy. You can't just look at their situation. You have to look at what they're seeing and understanding. There's a higher... Something is so much stronger than the situation that they're in. There's people that have gone to great torture and been persecuted, put to death. And they do it with joy in their face. What could be so strong? What pleasure could be so strong? What could get a hold of your heart so much that you could go right through those horrifying persecutions with such a joy? And that comes from being on the mountain of God. That comes with a growing holiness and a relationship with God. So my challenge to us this morning is let's go to the mountain of God. There is so much in store for us. We think it's hard to climb. We think it's probably really boring up there. That's still lies of the old world. Let's seek his face. First Chronicles 16 verses 10 and 11. Glory ye in his holy name. Let the heart of them that them rejoice that seek the Lord. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek him, seek his face continually. And that is a command. In Psalm 27, verse 7 and 8. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou sayest, seek my face, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. See, it's a command. When thou saidest, seek my face. And he's telling us, seek my face. He's a father. He has everything that we need. Everything that we need, he has. And it's not just a suggestion that his children seek his face. It's a command that you're going to have to decide whether you're going to obey or disobey this morning whether you're going to do it but the promises back up his command you will find me if you seek him continually and the response of David here in Psalm 27 thy face Lord will I seek and that's my heart that I want to seek the Lord with all of my heart and I hope it's your heart too this morning but we go home from here and this week we would seek the Lord maybe you spend 15 minutes with God every day spend 30 Spend longer. You know, it's not a machinery thing to do. I got to do this. I got to seek the Lord. Cry out to Him with all your heart, and you'll find Him. Let's bow our heads for prayer this time. God, thank you for the promises of Scripture. We call upon you this morning to convict our hearts, convict my heart, O oh God. That we would seek you in these latter days, God, and find you. The answer to all of our problems in life are found in finding you, Lord. And you know it, and you've commanded. So, Lord, give us the grace to do it. Maybe some here are just cringing at the thought. I pray that you would encourage those people, that person, Lord. That you would take away all the fear Lord, put that holy discontentedness in our hearts, Lord, that we would really seek after you and call upon you, Lord, because you are a father and you have made promises. 
Thank you, Father, for meeting with us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. We give this day to you and each person here. We commit ourselves into your hands, God. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. One thing about promises, the promises of God. When he makes a promise, we usually take it as of something the weight that we would take something from somebody we would trust. Another human. That's the thing about God. He is so holy, and holy means set apart from humanity that we don't even understand the depth of His holiness, His righteousness. When He makes a promise, if you seek Me, you will find Me. It's rooted and grounded in His character, who He is, who never changes. So therefore, His promises are good. Let's just remember His promises are good. You've been listening to Seek the Face of God, a message by Gabriel Yoder. This podcast is brought to you from the Bethel Mennonite Church in Gladys, Virginia. Find us online at BethelMennoniteOnline.org. So long, and thanks for listening.